Welcome to the Strip Till Farmer Podcast, brought to you by Montag Manufacturing. Great to have you with us for today's episode. My name is Noah Newman. I'm the technology editor here at Strip Till Farmer. All right, so during the 2022 National Strip Tillage Conference, four farmers joined Strip Till Farmer Managing Editor Michaela Paulkner for dinner. Nate Levan, Patrick Stansberry, and Kendall Cohen currently strip till, while Luke Dieters and his family are conventional tillage, but Luke wants to try strip till. So over dinner, the three experienced strip tillers talked Luke through the equipment needs, obstacles, and other considerations that come with switching to strip till. Let's listen in. Here's part one of their conversation. My name is uh, Nate Levan. I have been strip tilling since 2016, so we'll see seven years. I have uh, the fortune of uh, getting to see a lot of acres because I, I work for the seed industry too. So I get to see a lot of guys that have tried a lot of different things, ask a lot of questions. So that's, that's a nice part of it. I'm in the north central Iowa, up by Stacyville, Stacyville, Iowa. So farm with my brothers. Um, we do still some conventional till, still some no-till, a little bit of everything. We've tried cover crops. We've tried corn on corn. We use uh, Don Pluribus. Uh, strip tiller and apply uh, a uh, suspension fertilizer. Um, I'm Pat Stansbury from Sheldon, North Dakota. It's an hour southwest of Fargo. I kind of farm the beaches of Lake Agassiz. Um, come up the hill, and that's where we're at. Sandy ground. There are, is some heavier ground, by and large, flat. Um, started strip tilling in 15, 2015. Uh, I run a Case 5310 strip tiller with Case Air Cart as well. Farm about 1,800 acres of, depends on how high the, how high the water is on any given year. Uh, we, that's one thing we do fight is high water. We run corn and soybeans and uh, I, for the first time since 2011, I planted wheat this year. So gonna see how that goes. Hopefully get a cover crop on that after we get that off. Probably gonna be around Labor Day weekend the way it's looking, maybe last week in August. Wanna get more into the cover crop side of things have tried different versions with you know flying it on and blowing it on with a different ways but there's so many ways to do it <laughs> so we have 60 pain in the rear i mean cows uh calf pairs so we that's the other reason graze the cows on the you know the cover crop stubble somebody once told me they are the greatest nutrient recyclers animals of any type i guess but uh so that's kind of get into that it, it works out because my wife is a vet so she I, I deal with getting feed and getting rid of used feed and she does all the fancy things yeah. so that works out for me Kendall came from central Kansas northwest from Wichita about 40 miles uh, we farm corn beans and wheat most of our well half of our ground is irrigated the rest of it's dry land we have a layer barn a chicken layer barn we have done some cover cropping. We've probably been at it about six years. And we have probably started strip tilling in 96 or 97. And been pretty steady at that. We've maybe missed 14. a few years in between, but that's pretty much the, much the deal right there. We run a gladiator strip tiller. We form 1800. We basically just strip till in front of court. I'm Luke Dieters from Southeast Minnesota. Farm with my dad and my brother, and uh, we're conventional tillage, corn on corn, and uh, we're in the, the bluff country, they call it, and uh, it rolls pretty extensively. That's, that's why the corn on corn and no, 
no rotation there. Um, interested in strip tilling for uh, the fact of possibly simplifying, you know, equipment and labor needs, possibly better fertilizer uptake and so forth. And I'm just here to ask questions and learn about it. The hardest part for me is when you get into all this stuff, it's like, there's so many options mm -hmm. and everybody's like, oh, this is the greatest. Well, when you break it all down, what are you trying to do? Yeah. You know, yep. you have to take all that into account with, you know, how your strip looks, how you're, you know, breaking the soil, your different soil types, how you're fracturing things, mm -hmm. how your fertilizer is being placed. And it all boils down to, okay, I got X amount of money to spend. Yeah. What can I get that'll do this for that? Yeah. And what's your tolerance level for adjustments? How much do you want to tinker? Because you can get you can get really good units, but if you're not, I mean, I don't know what your time is outside. Yep. For me, I yep. work for seed companies, so I have to have like everything work when I need it to work. I don't have the time to tinker. Yep. One of the guys that I kind of learned from had red balls, beautiful row units, a lot of lots of greasers, a lot of greasers, a lot of maintenance. They're great row units, and they're 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 perfect for somebody that wants to start with them. I didn't, I didn't have the ability to make that work in my operation, but that was like in his, uh, his little community, the guys that I learned from, I thought the biggest thing is why do you want to do it? Because there's 10 different reasons for 10 different guys. For me, time savings, love the banded fertility, yeah. don't have time to do full width tillage. That, that's me. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have a different reason than him, anybody else here. And that's the cool part mm -hmm. that you don't know. You can ask a hundred different guys and you're going to get really good answers. So I, was, I was telling him on the way down here, I said, guys, 99% of guys just lay it all out there. Mm -hmm. This is what I do, how I do. This is the pounds. This is my yield goal. This is, I mean, I'm an open book. You ask a question, I'll tell you. Yeah. Because it, it doesn't matter if you're na my neighbor or not, in my opinion. I mean, we're all here to make ourselves better in the first point, exactly. you know, first yeah. place. So why? Mm -hmm. What's the point in not just throw it out there? If somebody says you're an idiot, it's like, oh, okay, fine, fair enough. But, you know, I mean, this is my reasoning for it. I can either defend myself or I can look at it and go, shit, you're right. Yeah. I need to rethink what I, you know. Yep. And there, there's, there's, I've had it the first couple. The first time I had a case 5310, mm -hmm. which, I mean, it was relatively cheap. It did what I needed it to. Mm -hmm. Are there things that I'd like changed on it? Yes. Mm -hmm. But it's paid for now. So I think that's key right. for a lot of people. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's always yeah. time and budget. I had a, a guy that I worked with that it, that was his first bar. Made beautiful strips. Corn on corn makes it more difficult. Oh, yeah. Strip tilling and soybean soil, there's a lot of real units that are gonna work just perfect for you. I think it's like half of them work really well in corn on corn. I run a Parvis, so I, I picked it because we have, uh, I would love to say like west part of what I help farm in, you know, with father-in-law and stuff black soils no rocks like gladiator shank machine were great i have rocks on the other part and i wanted something a little more forgiving wanted to do more strips because we're on contours we're on yep. hills so yep. that was my option um not so saying it's the best one it works for us how deep are you guys eight inches or less sometimes in the spring i'll shallow it up to six depending on how much mud i yank up the first time I'll yeah. It looks pretty ugly that first 16 Same. rows, and then lift her up. Because my trouble is, is we don't have drain tile. We have high water table. I mean, I was strip tilling. I didn't do any this year, but previous years I've strip tilled. The, the the water table was at eight inches to a foot. Oh sure. So you're going along in the pl the there's waves between you and the strip tiller. Mm -hmm. Oh really? 
and every once in a while you'll just watch a wing wheel or part of the cart just fall in about oh two my. feet and then pop out like a bobber. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> so as I'll check my fertilizer, I start digging down. It's like, oh, okay, last pass. I was there was water here when you dug down at eight inches. Yeah. So it's i'd love to do it in the fall because of the time savings yeah but fall i'm starting to be a one-man band 1800 acres your dad's older it's mm -hmm. just you got to find the manpower but then in the spring it's almost a double-edged sword you know but at the same point if i do it in the spring if i can get across with the strip chiller i can get across with the planner and you want to be planning yeah yeah so i i can you know you're you're at that how should I say it? And, and I ran tram lines, everything. Well, I shouldn't say tram lines. It just kind of works. Everything's 40 or 80 feet. Mm -hmm. So when I'm spraying, I'm on a, I'm on a air cart track, planter track, so I can be held up in a lot of these spots that are, you know, we're getting more tile, more water, but it's just hard because the topography is part of the issue. You got to basically all our water has to be pumped, and then you have to find an outlet for it. It's not like there's ditches no, every. Is that? Yeah, I, okay. I, yeah. I just put one in a couple of years ago, about two years ago, and sort of basically take a slew down that's by my dad's house, so he doesn't have to have a sump pump in his basement running 24/7-365. You just got a really big sump pump. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got, a, I got a 12 inch pump that'll pump up the one one inch material. It'll pump pump a rock through it. Oh my! Well, it's, it's an irrigation pump, is what it is. It's, and it, basically a jet turbine pump, I think that's what they technically call it, with a 10-horse motor on the top, and it just, we were pumping 1,000 gallons a minute for a month and a half. Oh, my. So 1.4 million gallons every 24 hours. And it, that was this spring, and there was a guy that was out there looking, he says, well, this is, the slew was down because we were pretty dry last year. He's like, oh, why, ask me why I put it in there. He says, yeah, spring of 2020, where the pump is, you would be standing in about two feet of water. Ah. From where it is now, where it is at its lowest point to where it was the spring of 2020 is like nine or 11 feet different. Wow. And wow. so it's crazy. You get some dry years too, don't you? Where it's. Yeah. Well, last year, I think most of our fields got less than 10 inches of rain on it. There's a couple fields that were higher and drier because there's a, I hate to say it, but there's a highway that goes through Sheldon. Everybody calls it Sheldon Highway. It's the only paved road that goes through Sheldon, obviously. And east of that, right as rain, nothing ever puckered up. Too. Yeah, there was some stuff down by the sand hills that did, but I mean, you. But then you go west of that highway, and it was a whole different ball game just because of our water table. And it's because there was one field I farm; it's three feet of sand, and then once you get through that, then you hit white clay. So all the nutrients that have leached over time are sitting right there. So if you get a dry year and those roots get down there, it's like, yeah. yes, yeah, exactly, yeah, because uh, I. There's a, I got a little late because we were, I don't remember what happened last year because I, mine is strip gel, PK and AMS, and then all my nitrogen is liquid. 10 gallons of planter, and then two rounds of Y drop with the sprayer after that. Because it just leaches, you get an inch of rain, it's gone. And I was too late and the corn got too tall on me. So I just, there was 30 acres I didn't even, you know, do. I put a couple of test strips out there. Mm -hmm come by with a combine yeah it was kind of ridiculous I, there wasn't a difference and i'm like okay what what happened here because i put you know there was an extra 18 gallons of 28 percent straight 28 yeah there should have been a difference that's a nice savings N now the thing is, is okay can i save that every year you're not gonna ever know that and if you do tissue samples yeah now it's like okay but 
I, I don't know why that happens. And I, so I'm trying to, that's one of those other conundrums you get into. It's like, I love the yield because the yield was, on that half section was amazing. Yeah. But yeah. why did that happen? And then that's the other thing when you ask about strip till and you not being much into it, it's like, there's so many questions that actually just show up that you, okay, why did that happen? Yeah. And that was, so now trying to figure it out this year, I did the same thing because we were late and, yep. and so I went out and I, I purposely left a spot and put zero or whatever. Yeah, but Without. my second round, I just didn't do. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, okay, two rounds of that. And then I came back a week, a couple weeks later and put in another one. And that one was pretty tall. The old roll gator was not impressed with what we were doing. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out one, where that extra end came from, because I don't think we had any mineralization last year, just the limited amount of rain. And, you know, now you got to figure in that. So in my sandy soils, I'm trying to figure out if I can, I don't want to say bank the nitrogen. I might not have put it into grain last year, but maybe I put it into the plant, which is now laying there. Organic matters are, yeah. Am I going to get that back in mineralization mm -hmm. in a year or so? Oh. Yeah. So I, that's that's the tough part about uh, you know there's always the banding conversation right and I, I do think you get some banding yeah. benefits for, for banding nitrogen but I do still think that like for me the whole strip till to maximize yield was not my goal I don't know was it your guys' goal I mean or, or, or was it due to maintain yields with a lot less I mean that was my goal yeah if I could if I'm gonna say it's a 180 APH or 200 I can't go below that but I want to make sure that I'm doing it with a lot less time. Now, I'm not a pullback fertilizer guy. I'm a, mm -hmm. if I'm going to add the same fertilizer, I want more bushels out of it. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but that was, uh, that's always interesting to hear, like, you know, what what, your, what was your goal? Well, we went to no-till because we were needing to conserve residue. Sure. We're dry. Well, 30 inches of rainfall a year, probably 30, 31. <laughs> and so we no-till corn in the bean stubble for several years and I don't know why we went away from it hmm. but we went to strip till and I feel like part of it was probably fertilizer placement sure. was our biggest problem yeah. and so, I started strip killing probably in, uh, I think I ran it one in 97 strip I'll see the end oh wow yeah. and so yeah but I don't know if we've been steady strip till every single year but pretty much uh, it's yeah, I mean, um, my, my thought was is I liked what it did, and then with my sandy ground, moisture conservation was yeah. kind of the thing. With the water table, it's kind of like, and the fertilizer's part of it, you know, getting it where, you know, where it needs it. You know, like in corn, you know, you get a 100-degree day, that, that top, you know, if you just blow it on and work it in, yeah, all your fruit's right there. And okay, now you get a hundred degree day. What roots quit at what, 85, 86 degrees somewhere now? It doesn't grow anymore after that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like, okay, all your fruit's sitting up here, all your roots are down here going, okay, I need moisture. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going in the right place. So, and the guy I worked for, he was full width and what was the year? Gosh, I remember what fall it was. It was dry. We were changing chisel plow points every 300 acres. It was just like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. And so he rented a soil warrior and it was like, I ran it and it's like, oh, okay. You're blowing the fur down. Now in the spring, you just go out and you plant. 
okay, I can get behind this. And you're done. You're done. <laughs> I mean, we, we did some side dressing and there was planner, you know, stuff, but I mean, it, it, you're done. It's like, oh, okay, I got other things I can do. Okay. Yeah. Is it, you know, a sprayer? Yeah, sprayer, <laughs> haying, you know, and, yeah. and then it's like, okay, I got four kids and my wife's a vet, so it's like, she's busy so trying to track everybody down and it, it just and i'm not going to say it works perfectly every year because they're train wrecks <laughs> like this year i didn't even put the strip tiller in the ground because i all i would have done is drag up mud so what did you do? well some i just some of the co-op couldn't get there and i just no-tilled straight into it and just blow it on over top and i put the p in the k and they didn't put any nitrogen down pk and ams some micros and Blew it on. Other ones that they got there before the planter did, ran around with a vertical tillage and just kind of set the edges of where I could go, where I couldn't go. And then you just, that was whatever. I, I had to be flexible this year. I just knew what I wanted to put down because, you know, you're planting June 1st, putting corn in the ground. It's like, what's your yield going to be, you know? I mean, the summer we've had has been, seeing on the weather last night, almost two degrees above average this year. So, but in... You know, end of May, first part of June, you didn't know. What, what are your options if you, okay, if you plant? What didn't drown out? Is it going to mature? Planted, it's, we got you know, do you, do you push a half of rain and the are all this year? Yeah. Five percent of the ground. Yeah, it's hardly. Hey, you don't know when frost is coming, especially up north that far. I just asked last week. Frost is a concern, too. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. So, but in this year and last year, it's like, we need yeah, to get I just something over. I had to go on a that conversation on 12. Like 20 and yeah, 21 was like, oh, most things are in the ground by April. Yeah, that, that was, was really like nice. Freaking out about, oh, we're going to get planted that first week. And it yeah, will. So, do you yeah. watch? No, I don't do, I don't play with gas. I don't know. That's, do you? Too many ways to kill you. <laughs> I have done it for 17 years, but we did this last fall. Okay. I got a. Oh, you better, do, you, do you like to split it or, or something? It was just cheap, so we did it. Do you like to put on um, all with anhydrous or no, we do you like to use like, a split we, up? We run 38 to 40 ounces of the planter with a liquid of nitrogen. How much with the planter? 38 to 40 ounces. Okay. 120 units. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I usually shoot for with the, the wide drop in the planter. I usually shoot for about 110, 120. The rest we the Oh. That's all it is. Okay. Mine comes from AMS or, well, just whatever, yeah. you know, like 1152 and all that kind of stuff. But well, we're, just, we're running 100% liquid at this yeah. point. <clears throat> and I'd really like to go to that guy. With the P and K, too? Yeah. Yeah. So, so where are you getting the K? Well, so the K, so we were running some KTS in slice with our shift dealer. Uh, we have been verbalizing our zero wheel sixty, like having the call off coming. Oh. Doing the fall, and we just straight till over all that. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's broadcast. The yeah. zero. Yeah. The worst part is, is with all this, there's a million different ways to skin a cat when it comes to this. I mean, it, wow. if, if nothing else, what strip till taught me is you got to be flexible because what you, <clears> at least where I'm at, yeah. what your your master plan is. Throw a stick of dynamite in it before you even start, and okay, now yeah. pick up the pieces and go. Because we, we always we spit fill in the fall. Okay, we'll start. Send this corn off. I don't know if I'm going to get it when in the fall. That was really expensive fertilizer to put down because a couple of guys at home they, you know, I had the co-op deep band a couple of chisel plow deep band a couple of quarters. 
he didn't get them. Mm. Well, now you just put a whole bunch of fruit out there. So now they're out there planting cover crops, trying to get it back. But now you had all the weeds. And it's mm-hmm. just, I mean, oh, it's. I think the comment on flexibility, though, that, I mean, in, in a good way, you tend to be like, well, how flexible can I be with the planter if I don't get that strip done so I can put something down you yeah. know, to get me to wide drop? Or, you know, do you want, I mean, I, as somebody starting new, you're like, oh, it's, it's, it's the wish book because you're like, well, how do I want to do this? And what yeah, can you I come into it thinking you're going to put all your fertility and nitrogen on yep. the strip till. And I, in some ways that's possible, but some ways it isn't. It, it is, but then it puts a lot of pressure on that one pass. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I came in with that and we do suspension. So it's 0062, but it's kind of like table salt, right? It's a, it's a potash, but it's in suspension and we do complete mixes. Well, for me, that was, I want the Montag cart so I can wide drop with it. And, oh, you know, it, it offers some flexibility for us mm-hmm. as a liquid system. But we also have stuff on the planter. So if it doesn't work out to do it in the strip in the spring or something like that, I, I think if I, if I had to do it all over again, I would still build in that flexibility just because you're not always going to be able to always do it, do it the I same mean, way. To, to be able to say, well, I'm going to hire the guy to go work corn stocks to do corn on corn. You can, you can get your teenage yeah, brother. It starts at the fall. What, yeah. what you get down then. You know, yep. you know. And then that'll dictate your flexibility. But that's, I mean, the other thing is, are you going to be in the machine? Or do you have somebody that you trust in a planner being in that machine? That, that was you my thing. It's like, mean, well, either I got to be in there or a guy that I trust in the planner, which my brothers, yeah, they'd be fine. Yep, yep. So yeah. do you pull a Montag? I do. Not an air cart. It was a liquid cart. Oh, so you pull a liquid We do suspensions, and it's uh, my favorite part about that cart is it's, uh, it's a Surefire pump, but it's a diaphragm mm. pump. You can pump anything you want, like yep. to the gallon. It is. So, those are awesome. There, and it has a thing. magnetic, you know, flow meter. Oh, that's my favorite part because we run the strip sill with it. We run the wide drop with it. Someday I'd love to be able to run a sprayer with it because the suction controls are already on there on the on the cart. Everything else is just hooking up hoses, so it so, works really nice. Why liquid over dry? Okay, I was cheap. Okay. I, I didn't want to buy the Montag air cart, which sure. is going to be twice as much. Okay. I wanted the flexibility. I wasn't going to side dress with urea. Yep. Um, for me, if I want to broadcast, if I'm going to build, I'm not going to build in my strip. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to build up, let's say I want to hit a certain potash number or a phosphorus number, I can go and do that at my local co-op. They can broadcast it when I know it's all my beans and I can kind of alternate where I'm okay. putting my fertilizer. So to me, it just was a more flexible option. But um it was it was expensive it was twice the, the cost price per unit for fertilizer so we have suspension in 0062 for my supplier yep. in suspension same price as red oh so no difference there yeah. we usually get it as a base of 1034 which is maybe like three cents a pound more expensive okay but other than that i don't have to pay maintenance on the air cart you know the dry cart yeah takes more horsepower to run one, you know, sure. so that was my rationale. Okay. If you don't have that. No, that's interesting mm-hmm. because we broadcast mm-hmm. and some AMS in the fall. Mm-hmm. And then we run a Glencoe yield builder, which is a deep ripper. And we apply gas with that real deep, like 14 inches. Mm-hmm. And we do one shot of nitrogen in our soil. We got clay subsoil and silty loam, a little bit of clay soil on top, yeah. But it holds nitrogen really well. Mm-hmm. We can do a one shot and we don't see any losses. Mm-hmm. So the nitrogen for us has worked out really well. And it's like, how do you incorporate? But, in the cave? But 
I have a, I have a colleague that he's run, uh, it was a blue jet for years. Yep. All he did was band and iris, and he yep. broadcasts his communicate. Yep. Really good luck on those heavier soils. Doesn't have to worry about it leaching or anything like that. Yep. And again, not saying it's the right way or the wrong way, but it really yep. worked for him because he wasn't going to buy the air cart. So. And let's burn a quick timeout and share a message from our sponsor. Montag Manufacturing has rolled out two new industry-first products. Cover Crop Plus is the first metering system dedicated to cover crop seeds, able to accurately meter even the smallest seeds like cover cress. It can be mounted to tillage implements, combines, and self-propelled high-clearance machines. And the second new product is the Mammoth Size Model 2224 with 13 or 16 tons capacity for producers running with larger strip-till implements. For more information, visit the Montag website or your Montag dealer. Now, let's get back to the conversation. Again, what you want to do with that is, you know, who's supplying your okay. So we get it through um, Helena, like they're the main one, but they the, the one co-op that was part of them prior to Helena taking over this was always suspension. I mean, that's suspension how they, is the name of the problem. I mean, no, suspension, meaning like, um, so a suspension fertilizer, they'll take oh. 0062, this table oh, salt yeah, stuff, yeah. they'll put it in uh, 1034-0 as a base, ATS, and that you can either do clears, they'll make, they could make it a clear, but for ours, they put it in a clay, deal so it stays in suspension it looks a lot like uh, kind of chocolate syrup but not quite that thick and then that potash will stay in suspension for eh, probably a good day i mean if it's really heavy stuff you can get it to salt out at the bottom but i i get that applied within 24 hours no issue but it's a it's a complete can you blend. agitate it yourself i have a tender truck you just pump it and you're running through your strip door mm-hmm. so i had it um on the on the purpose <laughs> I took those two little sidebanders that a lot of guys run just nitrogen through in the springtime and we just run everything through that. So I have basically a dual three by three on either side of the row is kind of where it gets placed. Mm-hmm. So if this is the center where you plant, hopefully plant, it kind of gets placed here. And it it's kind of like a, probably like your, your warrior, it's not all down at a certain depth. It's kind of like through the, you know, the full three the or four or six strip, inches. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It doesn't get incorporated. It's just kind of side-banded, um, but not saying it's the right way. It was just, you know, that's what we could. seems like in, in our neck of the woods, dry is, is kind of, yeah, there's some liquid products, mm-hmm. kind of the add-ons, the, the pop-up, that kind of stuff. But the, I guess I've never, I haven't really asked because I was set up with the air cart with the strip tiller because awesome. it was, you know, and now I bought an air drill and I got to put a strip kit on the front of a 3380 case cart. So it's everything's in the row, you know, three different tanks, variable rate. And it's like, okay, now I can use that on the air drill to put in cover crops and I can put it on the strip tiller to keep going. That's interesting because I don't know if I can put a seed on our contour in the strip and make it all work. But if I could, I like the banding idea because you might be able to reduce fertilizer and keep the yield. Mm -hmm. The precision planting I've seen, they have the conceal. Mm-hmm. Is that similar to where you're applying it with your pluribus? Oh, it could be. I mean, I don't know. I've never used a conceal. I've only seen the demos. I, yeah, I, they're like in the middle of the row or the middle of the gauge wheel, right? Yeah. So they're. I assume, yeah, they have like a dual yeah. wheel gauge wheel or something. Yeah. That's it, how deep do you think you're going with your liquid? So 
that the new pluribus, you can probably legit get down to six. Now that's okay. to the hubs, far as it'll go. Sure. We only do that in the fall, so we get a little height to it. Mm -hmm. So I found with the pluribus, it's very much about speed is how fine yeah. the berm gets. So if you want it to look like his nice chunky fall strip, I gotta go like seven and I gotta sink that sucker in. Now, if I want it to be like a rototilled strip in the spring, three and a half to four, as fast as you wanna go. I mean, it'll make a really nice strip, but it's very sensitive to speed okay. and it's very sensitive. Like here's the coulter, here's the little injection do deal. And so those coulters are like this, but they're yep. also like this. Okay. So there's a little, really little pocket, a little pocket behind there, but it's, you probably get some from two to wherever the culture gets to the bottom. Okay. So. And you mind saying how many gallons per acre you put on that? Depends. Depends. I, my pump doesn't like to go below 25 just cause it, it, it doesn't like to. Okay. You gotta, you gotta set the, the calibration back a little bit so it doesn't try to go too high. Sure. I, mean, I had it surge the first year I had it, but we've gone as high as 80. Okay. Did, you, did you ever try that? Uh, I call it the wonder pump, but it was where it would liquid shift. I think they have it where it will automatically shift over. It's a surefire mm. setup, but it, it'll at a certain speed and gallons and pressure and yada yada, it goes at like say 25 gallons is max. Yeah. But then once you hit a certain speed, so it's meant for variable rating. And so if you need to 50 gallons down, it shifts to a whole new set of lines and orifices. Oh. But yeah, that, I put one on a planter once and it was, kind of liked it, but it's a lot of stuff to pull yeah. off. So the, the only bad part about the suspension is that you can't run orifices. So I basically yeah. just run a small a diameter tube. That so was kind of like this a, little a little bit of back pressure. Um, if I would have done this, I think with like a centrifugal pump, at the end that sucker would want to just like drain out and then I have to, but since this is only positive, yeah. it doesn't sit there and spin. When it shuts off, it's just, it's done. So it has a little recirculation there, but the pump was expensive, but it wasn't expensive as an air cart. So it was still well, kind of one of those. That's what's interesting, because I don't know if I could make conversion right away, but if you could band with the corn planter. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that's interesting to try as some trials. 40 gallons? I mean. Yeah, we yeah. built our own brackets. They go behind the, the row unit. Oh. Three inches over on each side of the row, we got them stainless steel string. Yep. Mm -hmm. So we're, oh. and we're running Yetter. Closing wheels. Oh, the twisters. Yeah, yeah, the twisters. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of we're kind of convincing ourselves that we're. You're in a drag chain. You're in a drag chain, or just uh, oh, okay. So yeah. that dirt is pulverized, you know, and I'm just thinking I'm injecting a little bit. Is it loose enough? It'll, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Here we go. Thousand gallon anhydrous tank mounted on our Challenger. So every time I filled it up this spring, it like doubled the value of the tractor. Yeah. Yeah. It's cheap and like there's a lot of product. So my big question, I mean, in thinking about switching the drive. Man, the handling of that product is a pain, isn't it? I mean, what are you doing? I mean, like, you drag a belt around, a conveyor around, or do you have a truck set up that you can auger this stuff right in your cart and strip on? I mean, like, I'm, See, I'm cheap. trying to think how to do it. My wife tells me I squeak when I walk. <laughs> I followed on an auction. An old Chevy tandem truck with a Wilmer 16-ton hydraulic. He just, the guy just, just ran it off. off. Yeah. Just an auger off the back. And the truck ran like a champ. Yeah. No brakes, but it runs like a champ. <laughs> the brakes are Detailed. But I just don't want another thing to try and keep running. So I got a truck with a wet kit now. So mine with a wet kit. Yeah. So now I'm trying to find a trailer. Uh, I actually bought a neighbor's. He had a little short little military trailer. Mm. But the thing is so short. 
I tried to back it up to park it after, but it was near impossible. I'm like, this might have been a bad idea. But I got the air cart with the conveyor on it for, so I'm going to run a gravity wagon box to yeah. put on that to load beans. Because I, I think I can just drive up to that and load it on the conveyor. So I'm still looking for a like a 53-foot drop deck or something. So then I can put the fertilizer tender on the back, put my seed tender on the front. Because uh, we already have a, our spray trailer doubles as our pop up in 28% mm -hmm. in our side dressing. So it just kind of, I got enough trucks running around. So if I have vehicles that I need to have run anyways for harvest, I figure just try and yeah. use them. Use Keep them. them in yeah. Shape. yeah. Yeah. You're running a single compartment? Or I run a three compartment. All on my, the tender is a dual, dual compartment. You. But like my air cart's a three compartment one. So I'm going to, just to cut out a pass, because of doing the two wide drop passes, it's getting to be a lot with spraying and hanging. And so it just, I want to eliminate the first one basically. So I'm going to put down a little bit of urea with the strip variable rate, but it'll be like a 70-30 blend of urea and ESN. So I can get the more late season. And then my wide drop pass will just be the late season, the last, you know, see how the crop's doing, put down a base rate for, you know, plan for what, 160, 70 bushel corn or something. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, side dress above and beyond what we think we have coming. So that's... But you got a lot of flexibility built in there. I mean, yeah. you get all the rain you ever wants and, oh gosh, it's going to be 200, 220. It's like, well, then you can everyone do it late. Well, that's when, when Dan Muff, the guy that actually came out with the wide route first, I went and I seen him talk. He was in Titan in Lisbon. And it's like, holy shit, that makes sense. And it, it doesn't take long to put on. No. Uh, Half I just bar set up with the wide droppers just because yeah. I like on those light soils, it needs to be right there. Yeah. And it's it, like when you get a windy day or you get a break between beans, you know, you got to, it just made sense what he said, you know, putting it right there and you can, it's quick and easy. Mm -hmm. Load up, yeah, 18 gallons and an 800 gallon tank. You don't get very far, but you can get a couple hundred acres done a day and not trying real hard. I mean, I've got as many as 500 in a day, but the, you know, the water tray that we filled up the water truck with 4,000 gallons of 28 and just kind of dad would come get it, move it along, fill it when I needed and I mean, it works. But and but then well, there was one year we, I just finished side dressing and then some stuff got hailed out and it's like, damn it. <laughs> there went X amount of acres. So that's why I was trying to figure out like with the, you know, screw up last year, not getting my side dressing on. And you know, need to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm looking back at all my yield maps going, okay. And I always try and put a test strip in somewhere, make it pretty stinking obvious so yeah. I can see it, but just trying to, I don't know, when everything goes to hell in a handbasket, it's like, well, what's plan B now? So, so are any of you doing grid sampler, how are you coming up with your variable rate? We used to variable rate and hydras and P and K. We should have gone back to it, but we were only in control of the variable and hydra. And it was just like, not much of a price difference to keep going to the flat rates. We haven't soil sampled for a couple of years and probably should, you know, go back and see, but. I want to get more grid sample done. We, yeah, just kind of old field samples, but I've tried to break it up because we have some salty saline stuff that mm -hmm. I'm just trying to break up and then you kind of look off the yield monitor and I'm going to do a little bit more because I had an old case cart with a 3,400 case uh, Concord cart. So everything was going down the same hole and it was, it would variable rate, but it only, I don't remember how, it was pretty limited on its capabilities. 
now with this 3380, I hope I can do more. But there's times when I just turn it up in the field manually, say I'm putting down 100 or 240 pounds, I'll just run up to 300 and, you know, go with that for a round mm -hmm. and then mark it and see what it does. So I'd, do you good sample? So I've gone the full circle where if I didn't have any sort of idea of what it was, I gridded and then we're starting to move more towards zones. Thank so you. as I define zones as a yield monitor, I'm like, okay, so for me, I have to put it in a liquid. So if I'll run like a standard rate for the whole field is 35 gallons, some may be as low as 25, some may be as high as 52. So that's how we, we've moved. Um, that being said, I only do it on certain fields. If I don't have more than 30 bushel variances, it's like, eh, what am I really doing here? You know, for the sake of... Does the cost of the sampling outweigh the, you know? Exactly, and that's why we moved to zones where it's like, this part of the field is always my best part. And instead of having 20 spots in that, I've got it down to 10, you know, half the cost. And they're, they're the same, they're tiled, they all kind of have the same stuff. Now in the areas, um, I've, done a, I've done a field where it's acre grids just to try to define some of the variability. I'm probably only gonna do that once, maybe twice, but once you find that, you get those zones, run with them. So unless that's something big, like you said, you're getting tile. Once the tile gets in there in five years, hopefully you're like, okay, well, yeah, it changes. But that, that's where I, I've gone full circle. I, I see the utility in grids, but at the same time, grids for the sake of grids, if you have a flat black square, it's all the yeah, same. for you, where you're at. So we have a little bit of both. So okay. we have some that are pretty variable, and then we have some that are hmm. pretty... Are you using variable race? Yeah. Yeah. When we grid every four years, partly because <clears throat> I work for a company that does it. Mm -hmm. I'm used to it. I mean, we pretty much farm, but I do sales only. It's Harlan Soil Services. So anyway, the part that I've seen is that we have like maybe five different soil types. Our ground varies in a quarter, maybe even in a... 80, you might have that. Oh yeah, ours are like way, way more variable than that. And our pH varies so much. Mm. We go from four or three to sevens. And so the liming is a big deal for us. I don't know what your pHs are, but that's a big deal. It's a, it's a money maker. And so, and then I can see corn yields. Our lowest fertility is our best producing ground. Mm. And that's because, you know, we're always fertilizing for 200 or whatever bushel corn. and we might be pulling 280 off, you know, in those spots that are low. Sure. So hmm. that's, we're not necessarily using less fertilizer, but we're putting it where you need where it. Yeah, that's yeah. our big deal. If you take 10 bucks and split over four years, that's 250 an acre. I mean, why wouldn't you spend 250 an acre to make a $450 fertilizer decision or whatever you want to mm -hmm. throw that number? Or 200 bucks, $200, whatever. Mm -hmm. Depending on the price it is. <laughs> That's the fun part. We never know. Call <laughs> tomorrow may be different. Yeah. yeah. In the last mm. three or four years, we've been spreading manure all on a bunch of this ground, and so we're spit filling naked without anything. Yep. Just getting strips out there, mm. you know, to help break up the compact. Yep. To make the seed bed. The seed bed's the most important part. Yep. And under our under our pivots, I feel like we need it. You know, we dump enough water on, mm -hmm. and I feel like we need to help lift that soil up. We do about eight inches. That's about as deep as we can fall. What did you see different with your seed bed in your area with the strip till versus your no till? 
Why why did you go away from that? Well, part of the deal is is our combines aren't the best at spreading the residue. We yeah. have the red machines and that would have been some of it. You can see the you can Very see the, yeah, and the residue probably would be the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. And I felt like the grain, you know, if it's at all wet, the grain car compaction and everything hauling all that off the pivots that yep. we were yeah, pushing it, was, it right in. Yeah. And it was just hard. We don't work around unless <laughs> we do dirt work on it, you know, and otherwise our ground is just strip filled and that's it. I mean, mm -hmm. and we don't strip fill, we know till beans in the corn. Sure. Okay. We don't fill that. And we did some this year because we needed some fertility, but Typically, we don't. Okay. So that's that's the question I wanted to ask: is strip till beans or just no till beans? Because I've done both, and I can't say that I really see a big difference. I mean, lower fertility farms, yeah, I see a bigger difference. Well, good fertility yeah, farms, yeah, I don't know if I see much of a difference. You can no till them, and they they yield very similar. So this is probably the first mm. year I strip till in front of beans. Okay. I, mean, I, just, I did to get my fur done. Yeah. My fertility, no, that was yeah. when you no tilled your beans, were you still in a row? Mm -hmm. Okay, yep, yeah. That so we have a little bit of like literally you go for conventional till to no till planted green. So I've done the cover crop thing, That's fun. and the first time you do it, like the first couple of years, you're like, Ugh. after you do it, you're like, you want to do it again, and that's. That's something that I think the cover crops are kind of changing things a little bit. I mean, not that the fertility part still doesn't matter. We still grid test, we still apply. Yep. But um, the beans have slowly climbed. The corn in that area where we do corn, strip-till, beans, no-till, we had some of the best yields we've ever had on that farm. And it's not one of the better farms. I mean, I think for me, it's easier to take some of these farms that are more variable, more difficult and bring them up than it is to say, I got to push 300 or whatever your top yields are on my best acres. If I can maintain to maybe improve a little bit on the big on the on the good farms, but I can bring my bottom ones up twenty five, thirty you bushels, money. Yeah. and yeah. it makes sense to me. So, yeah. mm. so you never crop in front of corn at all, then? I have. So the first time I did it, um, kind of more of an experiment to say that I could do it. Um, I don't know if I need to do it in like corn on corn situation. I, I'm not quite convinced yet. I do it, but I it's a lot of residue to mess I'm with. interested in it to plant intercede into beans because that's where I feel like we're going to have the erosion is after we harvest the beans mm -hmm. rather than you know so to plant corn into a cover crop is what I would be interested in trying for that very reason to be able to raise beans and not worry about water erosion yet. yeah and beans are beans are honey badgers they, they don't care for the most part I mean you can you can tell in front of them you can no till they seem to like really respond i think they respond to cover crops better than corn does so yeah, you don't worry about the nitrogen and honestly rye cover crops training wheels i mean rye it's really hard to mess up rye that's what you were saying i mean gateway cover crop gateway. It <laughs> i mean oh it's truly but i want some of the stuff in the springtime like seeing that green up in the springtime mm -hmm. and you're like oh and when the one it breaks yeah, down established in the fall yep and um so where we get our cover crops there's still a lot of state funding dollars. So they'll go into the programs and they'll still put oats in. You know, that's part of the stuff that they'll get guys into. Well, those oat acres get applied first. So I've gone to putting in some oats with my rye. So I get that oh, nice, I get, my, I get an early application with the airplanes. I get some really nice growth out of the oats. It's not a whole lot different uh, as far as the root structure, but 
it was beautiful the way it established last year. And so I think I want to do more of that two species, even though they're really not that much different, but they they worked really well last you year. You were flying it on. Mm -hmm. And you really hope for a rain within like three days. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> then it's like a it's like a putting green versus like the barren desert if you get rain right now. And the amount of residue you have makes a heck of a difference too. High high yield corn residue is not your friend. Yeah. So uh, there, that's what it was saying. It has something to go into. So for me, no. It it like the, the lower yielding stuff, oh, it was beautiful. Hmm. Where the high yield stuff kind of snuffed it out a little bit. So when are you putting it off? August. Sometime in August. Uh, late tried, August, early yeah, September. I haven't had very good luck, and we had the hay come in and do it. Our uh, water conservation district was getting us discounts to run it. And so the first year was beautiful. The second year, this last year, we didn't get anything out of it. Our ride came up and disappeared, and they said it was crickets. Mm. Oh, it's the first thing I had ever heard, but crickets. Mm. It was. I thought it was maybe army worm for a week. You had those two last fall? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so I was disappointed that we didn't get anything last year, but I've probably done it about six years. My biggest disappointment has been where going and flying cover crops into beans, where you get it almost too early, where they're not dropping beans. Oh. Oh, I was really inconsistent. Where we've drilled into bean subtle, even though we're kind of like you were right up against that, are you going to frost? Yep. See, I tried that and I think it was 18 or 19 at a row gator when the beans were dropping leaves. Mm -hmm. Blew it on. It all germinated, but we never got warm. It was wet and it just sat there. Mm -hmm. But I, it was a drier chunk of ground. I basically wanted it for cattle feed because it was all beans on that where, where our pasture is kind of surrounded. It was all beans. Didn't have any corn stubble. It's like, uh, looking at the year. Mm -hmm. They're going to run out of food over here before I'm done combining the corn over there shoot so blow it blow it on it all germinated it looked good but it never did anything mm. but then the previous year guy that i read read the thing from did that phenomenal it was amazing but then again he didn't put he put rye down both times where i didn't do that i put oats turnip and radishes mm. because i didn't want it to come up and dry it out the next spring yep so it's kind of darn but then of course the next year we had a bunch of pp ground in the spring and i'm out there trying to wander through that with the, 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 the bat wing, trying to knock down grass, weeds, whatever, when it finally dried up. But here I'm finding turnips and radishes, just ah. huge. Like, oh, ah, okay, yeah. all right. And so I left a bunch of it, and then we turned the cows out there and planted cover crop around it. Turned the cows out there. They turned that spot that I didn't run over where those turnips and radishes were, where they didn't drown out. They turned it black trying to eat them damn things out of the ground. Oh, <laughs> they oh, they would paw the yeah. ground. But the, that field this year's planting into it <clears throat> was our experiment in, I don't know, in a sprayer. So when it got terminated. So this stuff, we planted it, didn't terminate it. Normally in the past, we terminated it before we planted, like the day before glyphosate. You know, it's usually about this tall. This stuff, we like get a little bit bigger. That came up and went to head before I could really, you know, get ahead of it. Yeah. The beans are fine. Nope. But for a couple weeks there, you're like, oh. It was like 14 days after we planted, and it got, yes, not quite that tall, <laughs> but yes. And that'll do it for today's podcast episode. A full transcript is available at striptillfarmer.com 
slash podcasts. Stay tuned for part two of this conversation coming up later this month in which the group discusses what to look for when buying or building a strip till toolbar. Thanks to Nate, Pat, Kindle, and Luke for today's conversation. And thanks to our sponsor, Montag Manufacturing, for helping to make this strip till podcast series possible. From all of us here at Strip Till Farmer, thanks for listening. I'm Noah Newman. See you next time.